Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast. I'm your host, Wilton Jackson. Today we have another exciting episode for you. I sat down with Tony Wiley, the President and the Managing Director of the Special Olympics in North America. Wiley is tasked with enhancing and promoting the Special Olympics programs in the United States, Canada, and the Caribbean. Before this latest move in his career, Wiley spent many years in public relations and communications for the National Football League. He has worked with the Dallas Cowboys, the then St. Louis Rams, the Tennessee Titans, the Houston Texans, and the Washington football team. Each role, according to Wiley, helped him for the position of where he is today and the ability to serve as a mentor to many in the media and journalism field. Sit back and get ready to listen as he discusses his childhood, working with the Dallas Cowboys as he described as the graduate school of PR from 1993 to 1994, the importance of building trust with NFL players and coaches, trusting his process, leaning on mentors, maintaining a balance of family life, and more. This is Season 2, Episode 1 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast, The Wiley Process, Sacrifice and Struggle to Earn the Reward. Let's get it. Welcome to the Red Diamond Report podcast with your host, Wilton Jackson. And today we have a wonderful guest. We have Mr. Tony Wiley. Tony, it's good to have you on the show today. Glad to be here. I know a little bit about who you are and, and what you've done and just your background. I've been doing a lot of research. But, you know, just tell the, the listeners who will be listening to this to this show, you know, a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm, uh, I'm Tony Wiley, like you mentioned, and I'm, the, I'm involved with the movement, the Special Olympics movement. I'm the president and managing director for uh, North America region. You know, it's a global organization and I'm overseeing the North America region. So that consists of the United States, Canada and the Caribbean. So I'm really proud of, uh, of the more movement and the, and the inclusion revolution. So, um, you know, this is this is a great organization and it's very, very fulfilling. Absolutely. And we're going to get into that um, in this episode. But I want to ask this. So I was doing some research and I saw that you were were you born in Brooklyn and then kind of made your way to, to Houston? That's true. I, I'm born in Brooklyn. Um, I'm a that's a story among itself. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Caribbean immigrant. I was a miracle. baby. Yeah, when I was born, I was a miracle baby. I was only one pound. When I, was oh, born. Man. I came out after I think I came out after four, four and a half months of gestation. So I was only one pound. And I was, I was coined the miracle baby, but I, I you know, grew up in, 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 in from till I was 10 in Brooklyn. And then I moved to Houston and that was a big adjustment, you know, uh, right. especially, you know, you know, going to uh, an area where they had rodeos on Friday. So right. that was, that was, that was like, you know, being in Bonanza, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I grew up with some good people and I went, you know, went to Cypher high school and then I ended up going to Texas Southern university undergrad. That's so when I went to school, and then I, then I lived in Dallas, Los Angeles, San Diego, St. Louis, Nashville. I was able to go back home to Houston, yeah. and I moved out here to the Washington, D.C. area while I remain. I'm in the D.C. area right now. What made you decide on going to Texas Southern? Funny, I ended up originally right out of high school with the Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches, Texas, East Texas. And I was pre-med major, and my buddy uh, transferred to take physics. Physics was was a big hurdle I couldn't get over. 
And um, so he was like, hey, let's transfer to TSU, take physics, and then go back to SFA. Well, I ended up taking physics that semester and made a, I think I made a B plus, which was great. And I like TSU so much, I decided to stay. So I ended up staying there and, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am without my school. I love my school. Right. You know, a lot of times there's always a conversation of like, you know, what, how have HBCUs helped shape and, and grow um, uh, great minds, not even just black minds, but just people, great people in this world. And to see that, you know, you represent Texas Southern very well, that that's very, 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 very good. You essentially, you know, I looked at that you were the sports editor for your uh, school paper, but then you transitioned over to, into PR. Now, I know being a journalist that I am, you know, sometimes people would tell me, well, you're going to get in your career and you're going to realize that all the money is in PR versus, you know, you know, going from reporting. What allowed you to make that transition from like from the sports reporting side to the sports PR side? Actually, Wilton, I did. I was doing it all at the same time. When I was an undergrad, I was, I was sports editor for the school paper, a sports editor for communication department paper. I, I was a stringer for AP. Mm -hmm. I wrote for um, Houston Post, the Houston Chronicle. Mm -hmm. And then I also um, was working in sports information. In addition to, I was working at a TV station and I had my own TV show on Access Channel as well as on campus. So my plan really was, was threefold. I had, I had three goals. First goal was to be a front office executive right. working in PR. And if that didn't work out, I was either gonna be a sports reporter, either on the print side or on, on the TV side. And I ended, up, I ended up doing all three I ended up doing all at the same time. In fact, my last month at school, I had six NFL teams call me. I had four newspapers offer me jobs and three television stations. Hmm. So I, was, I did all at the same time because I wanted to have options. Right. Right. And so many times, and I'm glad you said that because I, believe it or not, I was very similar in that way. And a lot of times, you know, my friends would be like, well, why won't you just stick to one route? Why won't you just go the TV route? You know, be the typical, you know, sports reporter. Why won't you just go newspaper or, you know, or, or do radio or do podcasts? And I'm thinking to myself, like, that's not the way that the world is going, you know? And so to hear you say that, you know, what, what advice kind of like would you give to, you know, even myself and even journalists that's coming after me, you know, that advice of like, you know, do, do as much as you can while you can. Absolutely. While you while you're a student, I call it kind of like being Cinderella. You try you try on all the different shoes and see what really fits. While you're a student, that's the opportunity to really try on things, try different things, and get an internship. So I always tell people internships do two things: they tell you what you want to do, and they tell you what you don't want to do. Absolutely. And Wilton, this world is all who you know, who you know, and who knows you. So. Students are, you know, who you know gets you through the door and what you know keeps you there. So my advice is to pick something. If you have, a, if you have an idea of what you want to do, then pick someone that's doing it and then pick their brain about how to get there. Because how, how else do you know how to get to a destination unless you talk to someone that, that traveled there? Right. So that way that keeps you focused. And then you also follow up with it. You say, okay, I'm doing this now. Based on the advice, I'm here now. I'm there now because I've been in a situation where you get a phone call and people always ask you, you know, four, four words. Who do you know? And your name, and when you're a student trying to break in, should be on the tips of their tongues. So really just network. You know, network is, is one letter away from not working. 
So networking behind. For those who will be listening, Tony is 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 great. He's a great person to know. Like I said, I was connected to you um, through somebody, and they were they they essentially told me like you need to reach out to him ASAP. Now you know, <laughs> granted, you know, I know you were busy and you had a lot of things going, and we kind of missed each other in, in, in communication at times. But I said to myself, whenever I get a chance between grad school, because that was a time where I, I was finishing grad school, whenever I get the chance to sit down and talk with him, I want to because I want to pick his brain and kind of just know what his journey is like. And and that's, I feel like that's the perfect segue to kind of go into this. You know, you were able to, you know, use your leverage of the opportunities that you made in undergrad to get that first job out of college. And, you know, again, you, you're talking about, um, you know, a public relations assistance with the, with the Dallas Cowboys. And this was during a time where Dallas was competing for Super Bowls. So I can only imagine how busy you were at that time in your young career. I was very busy. I was very busy. No team was covered more than the Cowboys in that time. I mean, this is pre-internet, so I mean, I mean, everything. We're on national TV every game. I mean, it was it. But I call that grad school. That was my grad school in PR because you know we had a lot of crises going on. Emmett Smith held out during that time. Right. And lost. We start off 0-2. Uh, we go to Super Bowl. Then we win the Super Bowl. Then Jimmy Johnson leaves. So right. I mean, it was always something, even when things were quiet, I was bracing myself because I knew something was going to happen. But that helped, that really helped, helped shape and mold me professionally because, you know, I was, I was, I was battle tested. I was taking my lumps and I also worked with some good people that kind of took me under their wing to really teach me, teach me how, how to do this the right way. You mentioned that you 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 worked with some good people, and then also you took a lot of great things um, from that particular job. How did this particular job, as you would say, the the grad school of PR? How did it help you for the next two jobs to come after that? Well, for starters, like I mentioned, no team was 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 covered more. I mean, no team was covered more. Every game was like a big game, so everything I faced later on, including going to the Super Bowl with the Titans. It was nothing like it was with the Cowboys. I mean, right. I always experienced, you know, the, the top of the iceberg, and and I really, you know, really, you know, set the stage for the rest of my career. Because even even to the point where when I left to, the, to go to the Rams, I know my, my best friend was like, "I can't believe you're leaving. Maybe the Cowboys can go back to the Super Bowl." <laughs> like, well, you know what? I said, even I can always say I've been. And sure enough, they did two years later. Right. But, right. Uh, but no, it's it, it was it was. There's only one of 32 jobs in the world. In, in that field, and I was really fortunate to really do something I really was really passionate about. And that's my thing too. My advice is to don't chase the dollars, chase your passion. Because if you do something you're passionate about, ten times out of ten you're gonna do it well because it's not really work for you. You're gonna really put your heart and soul into it, and that's what that's what that's a blessing. You get up every day, you can drive to work with a smile on your face if you enjoy something and you get paid for it. I mean. I would have done this for free if, if I could have, you know, I had bills to pay, but I still really enjoyed it. I know what it's like as a reporter to deal with having to talk to players and coaches and, you know, and personnel and things like that. From your side of it, from the PR side, you know, what's the, I guess, the best parts or what's the not so fun parts in terms of dealing um, with players and personnel when, when it comes to teams? Honestly, Wilton, it, it comes to one word, really, trust. That's one word, trust. And you can't really BS players. People can see right through it. And I think um, I was able to establish trust from everyone on the team, from the, the long snapper to the starting quarterback. And 
once they know that you're there and you care, I think, um, you know, the, the good thing is, is seeing people, you know, make the Pro Bowls and, you know, accolades and getting to the Hall of Fame, like my buddy Isaac Bruce. I got my mom by Garner's. I got selected. He selected me to to, uh, to to present him at the Hall of Fame. Right. So that, that to me, that shows how much he could have picked anybody. He could have picked a teammate or a coach, a family member, but he picked me. You have to, you have to, you know, it's a challenge when when you know people when you lose or you fumble on the one yard line, like we did with Tony Banks one time, and fumble. Right. And I had to really pull him aside and say, Hey, you got to really, you got to talk to these reporters. Just just do it for ten minutes. Just be a pre professional. Tell them what happened. Because if you don't do it. That's gonna be that's gonna be that's gonna be a big thing to overcome. So right. you have to. I mean, they knew if I came to them. A lot of guys knew it was really important. If I really, if I was asking for them to do something, it was really important. Did they did they do everything I asked? No. I mean, of course, everyone's grown. But if it's something I really really pressed on, then they then they then they listen. So it's all about trust. You made a pivot when you took the job with the Texans. Franchise coming into the league, you know, you became the first vice president of communications um, for that franchise. I know that was, uh, uh, and granted, this is still you speaking the same language in terms of communication, but to do it for a fran- an expansion team, what was that process like? Oh, well, that was my hometown too. Also coming back home to Houston. Right. Um, I knew from, I was there two years before we, we played our first game. I, I, I joined them in 2000. And our first game was in 2002. So I knew what to expect from the first game on. But I didn't know what to expect from that point, those two years. I call them redshirt years. Mm-hmm. So I remember taking like three trips. I took a trip to Jacksonville to meet with the meet with the Jaguars. I met, I met with the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. And I met the Minnesota Wild because I wanted to know what to expect as an expansion team. And I remember one advice Dan Edwards gave me from the Jaguars. He said, listen, everything you're doing, from here is going to be it's going to be history. So make sure you, you preserve everything. I mean, I took the mic flag from the, from the, from the expansion draft. I mean, the whistle that Bob McNair had to give the Dom Capers our first coach I had. I mean, every little thing that was his, we were making history. We were making history. Every event that we did, everything, every announcement was making history. Right. And to do it in your hometown was something that's really, you can't put a price tag on. So, I just uh, was, was really just reveling in the moment and, and just, wow, this is the first. You only do something for the first time, one time. Right. So I, a lot of the first that we were doing, you know, I made sure we documented and recorded. What did you enjoy the most about that, about that job? Um, doing, being at home, being, that was my hometown. Right. I, I mean, I grew up there, you know, that, that had, a, that had, a, that was a blessing and a curse because you know, you know a lot of people and everyone wants something, but I think, um, you know, being able to do something at home, be involved with Texas Southern, be involved with my family. And um, I like I liked the fact that, you know, it wasn't, you weren't making history. And then the first game when we beat the Cowboys on national TV, and that's something I'm- That's full circle. That's a huge, that was a huge highlight. That was, that was. Let me ask you this, and this kind of pivots away specifically from the football side of things. I noticed that you started your MBA during this time period where you were, uh, you know, working with the Texans. So as a person who had to finish graduate school while working, I know that's difficult. And I can only imagine what it was like for you working for an NFL team and still trying to get an MBA. 
in graduate school? Well, I'll tell you what, well, it was a blessing and a curse because um, Bob McNair and Philip Aguirre from the Texans, they came to me. They sat, they, you know, we were, they sat down next to me on the plane, coming back from a road trip, and they handed me a brochure. And I'm like, what's this? He said, we like, the, we like the decisions you've made. We want you to grow as an executive. And we kind of want you to, you know, to go to Rice. We've done this for other executives. And they must have said during the conversation, you don't have to pay for it at least five times. You know, they made it. They made it a point. You don't have to pay for this. We want you to do. This. We want to support you morally and financially. And I didn't want to do it. I'm like, I'm out of school 13 years. Plus, you talking about going to school on the weekends uh, during the season? It was very challenging. It was very challenging. But they saw something in me, and like I said, they wanted me to get this this, this business degree. And once I put my ego aside and really needed to get got help when I needed to get help and really started getting into school, right. really it's true. What you, you get in, you get out what you put in. And right. I really started joining. I really started getting into it. And it was, it was a great experience. I made a lot of good friends and good contacts. And it was it inspired me. And lo and behold, after I, after I graduated, the Texas Rangers called me and interviewed me to be a team president. And so, I mean, even when I got the job here at Special Olympics as a president, I heard Bob McNair's voice in the room when I was getting interviewed and saying, he said, this is why I sent you to Rice. So right. it, was really, it was really emotional, it was really emotional. And it was difficult, but, you know, if it was easy, everyone could do it. Balancing school and then also balancing work, but then also know, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more towards the uh, latter part of the show, you have, you have kids, you have a family. Like, you know, what's that What's that balance like? You know, I talk to my dad sometimes now and I tell him, I don't yeah. know what I would do if yeah. I had if I had kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, the great thing is um my kids were my kids were young and I had my parents in Houston. You know, my parents were able to help support us and my wife, my wife has a career, has a career as well. So I mean it was early on, it was just the two of us. You know, it was cool, it was just the two of us. We were able to um, to do what we had to do. But then you know, my, my kids are 18 months apart. My son came along and then 18 months later, it's my daughter. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that goes back to, to the rice thing. Because while I was doing, when I was at rice, I remember doing schoolwork saying, why am I doing this? What's going on? Why, <laughs> yep. why am I doing this? It was very painful. And mm-hmm. graduation day, my wife handed me a box and I opened it up. It was a, it was a rice onesie. And she had a note and she said, you're doing this for your own. She wasn't pregnant then, but she because she was basically saying you're doing this for your unborn kids. Mm-hmm. And that and, and that right there just speaks volumes in itself because, like I said, I don't I don't know your struggles because you know though there were your struggles, but I just know having finished graduate school myself and having to work, it is extremely hard. And most people do not. If you haven't done it, then you don't know how hard that it is. That's true. It's very true. But you know what? What they say, you gotta you gotta sacrifice to start, you know, to get to get reward. You spent the time that you did almost 10 years with with the Texans. Um, and then you you position and move over to you know working with now the Washington football team. And you know, just from growing up as a kid, I've seen so much happen with the franchise over the years. I mean, things still happening, even just with today, the latest headlines of of, of what's going on now. You know, your experience with the Washington football team, if you had to describe it. Oh. Big, big spotlight. I mean, big spotlight. Uh, coming from Houston, where we're an expansion team, and you know, people really—I mean, I want to say—pay attention, but we weren't—we didn't—we weren't—we weren't one of the 
one of the story franchises. So at that time, having an opportunity to come here, it was an opportunity to come to Washington. And at that time, President Obama was in office and, you know, a lot of excitement. I felt like, wow, this is a great opportunity to come to this part of the country and really get to know a lot of people and network. And then you've been getting involved with the, with the story franchise. I mean, it was, it was never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. My first year, I think, we were on the ticker on ESPN like every day. Because I remember, I remember my first day, I was like, man, I, I, I want to be on the ticker. And the people, people that I work with, like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Watch, watch what you wish for. Watch what you wish for. Exactly. You sure, might just sure, get it. And sure enough, we were on the ticker every day. That's what Alan Haysworth had his mm-hmm. issue with Don McNabb. Yep. I mean, you name it that year. And quite frankly, all the experiences that I experienced with the Cowboys and with the Rams and with the Tech, with the Texans and the Titans, that prepared me because if I didn't. If I was green and, and, and really didn't have the experience, this place would have chewed me up and spit me out. But the fact that I had the experience and I had the connections, I had, you know, I had my stripes, I was able to handle it. Because I mean, this this place ain't for everybody. Right. It's not for everybody. And so with that job, and I'm sure, like you just said, you know, Washington can be a wild place. Like what I've started to realize, having traveled to, uh, to a lot of different places, you know, your your Washington DCs, your your Baltimore, Chicago's, New York's, uh, places like that. Like it it can be rough starting off if you if you aren't used to these particular areas. Correct. Yeah, you gotta you have to know. Okay, you have to really anticipate. You have to anticipate because you know each move has some sort of reaction. So right. you got to be able, you got to be on your toes and, and really be, you know, I'm an advisor. So you got to be able to really advise and handle, but also I'm about relationships. So that really came through a lot of times when I really needed it. Right. Absolutely. Right. You talk about, you, you mentioned trust and, and, and you just mentioned relationships, um, you know, as a big part of your job, you transition over to the Special Olympics. What made you choose, what, what, what made you, you know, or how did you come upon that opportunity and, and what made you choose that? They originally, I was going to talk to them about a communications job. And, and when I went to meet with them, they had a resume, you know what? You can handle communications. We want you, we want you to handle Sony. And I'm thinking, I don't know what Special Olympics North America stood for. That's what Sony. Right. And they were like, we want you to be the president. We want you to use your leadership skills. We want you to be there. They're really excited about what I brought to the table. And that's when I was like, wow, this is a great opportunity. And I don't have to move my family. Because right here, my office is in D.C. And at that point, I, I, once I decided I was going to do it, and I had to make sure I left on great terms. And that's something I'm very proud of. You know, I got uh, Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen, they gave me a press conference to say goodbye. And that's something that doesn't happen. I can only imagine, like, you know, some of the relationships, the, you know, you spent almost 10 years in, in Washington, too. So it's just like you you built a lot of a lot of great relationships. And, you know, just like you've mentioned before, your previous jobs prepared you for each job ahead. So, you know, now going from, you know, a vice president of communications, senior vice president of communications to now president of an organization, that's big. Like, you know, somebody has their trust, you know, they're putting their trust in you to run this particular, uh, you know, this particular organization. No, it's, been, it's nothing but God. I mean, the fact that, like I said, to have this opportunity and um, to utilize my skills that I've gained over my career. But on top of that, I didn't have to move. It's right here. I have to. I have to move. I have to relocate my family, and it's been it's been. I mean, COVID hit right when everything was really getting going, but 
I'm really excited about the opportunities. We have to really be uh, thinking outside the box and really be innovative in regards to fundraising for this organization. So it's it's a challenge, but it's one I'm willing to, um, to face. What would you say is are some of the initiatives or projects that you've worked on thus far that you're most proud of? Um, I would say really, I mean, not knowing much about the organization, just learning, just learning everything. Right. Um, I traveled around and met with a lot of the CEOs. I went to Canada twice, went to the business meeting, uh, went to their, their, their winter games. Oh, I was freezing up there, very frigid. Not right. up. But I was also able to go to the Caribbean. I mean, but I think what I'm most proud of is just the people, getting to know the people that are involved in the movement and just uh, planning the strategy that we're, going to, that we're going to execute once we get past this COVID. But the great thing is that everyone's really passionate about one thing, is that, that it's helping their athletes and, that, and, and, and helping them raise, raise funds and, and basically give them you know, a, a key sport to participate in. So, I mean, we love, it's been, I mean, I've learned that Special Olympics is not every four years, it's every day. So we really have to educate. Two things, my goal is to, is to educate people about what we do. And the second thing is to raise resources so we can increase coaches and, and, and athletes. You mentioned, and just kind of bringing everything together, you know, you mentioned that um, this particular job, you know, still in D.C., um, you're still learning the company and, and how it's going. Uh, you get a chance to spend more time with your 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 daughter and son. Your daughter's in gymnastics. Your son is playing baseball. I I saw your Instagram page. You had said like your son was taking a nap, and while you were taking him to a baseball game, I was like that 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 sounds a lot like me when when I was young with my dad. You know, I didn't want to, I would want to go play, but I'm like I don't feel like riding going. To What's your relationship like now with your kids? You know what? I get to spend time. They get to they're not used to seeing me. Right. I think um, I think they're adjusting. They're adjusting to me being a different thing. I was able to take my my daughter to her gymnastics meet, even though I couldn't sit there, but I was there and taking my son to his baseball games. I mean, I'm just so heck. I've been even now. I'm cooking now. I'm cooking. But after I get done with you, I'm going to cook my wife so I can have some dinner ready for her when she gets home. Because I'm oh, yeah. <laughs> so it. Well, it's in it. It's uh, it's about family right now. I'm able to do both. I mean, really spend. I was off on the weekends. I think the second or third weekend while I was home, I was like, "Whoa, I'm like, I can get used to this." So I mean, I've I've never done that before. I've right. never. So this is this is a big adjustment for me, but it's a good adjustment. Right, and and, and I can somewhat relate to you with that because my dad was in the military and he was always on active duty as a kid, and I would often think to myself, he's always gone. He's you know either overseas or you know, you stationed somewhere um, in, in a different city, state or whatever, every two or three years. And it's just like, you know, as a kid, you don't think about it as much when you're a kid, because it's just like, you just know dad's gone. But then as you get older, you, you start to kind of think about some things and say, well, my dad was gone, like, especially as a son, you know, there are certain things that you're supposed to learn as a man, you know, mom can tell you and, and, and guide you and teach you some things. But it's nothing like, being there, you know, with your dad learning certain life lessons. <laughs> and so I can only imagine, you know, now that, you know, you've had this career, and you're still having a spectacular career. And but you get a chance to spend time with your son and just bond with him. Yeah, I mean, he graduated in 25. So I really think I really think I only have a couple more years left because once he starts driving and he's going to be with his friends and 
they ain't gonna be cool anymore. Hey, like, <laughs> then he goes off to school. So I'm really, I mean, we, my wife talking about this all the time about, about making memories. It's about making memories. Like yesterday, they were so little, but now, you know, they're 13 and 11 and they're gonna have their friends and they're gonna be hanging out. So it's, it's funny because my wife really stresses sitting down at the table at dinner. Mm-hmm. And now I, I realize how important it is because. That's family time. That's family time to sit back and ask how's your day. And, and that's when we're able to sit down and talk. So we want to continue to make family memories until they're out their house. In terms of, I know we talked about your son, in terms of your daughter into, into gymnastics, like I I can only imagine the conversations, you know, that, that go on just with that. She's, I mean, heck, I try to talk her out of it because she, she, she broke her wrist one year, and the next year she broke her, her, her foot, mm-hmm. and she's very fast. I mean, I call her an athlete in the family because, you know, as a gymnast, she's strong. I mean, her core, right. she has Those muscles. are special she's athletes. She's already cut up. She's cut up already. So, you know, I, my son's fast, but she's even faster. So I try to get her in the track, mm-hmm. but she's not having it. She wants to run. <laughs> and then I told her, hey, look, you know, you broke your foot. You had these injuries. And she came back and showed me how Simone Biles broke her back and still won the gold. So I mean, she goes, that's just part of it. So she's tough. So I mean, I'm trying to get her lacrosse because you know she can get a scholarship with her speed and toughness. Exactly. But you know, I'm gonna let her do what she wants to do. She wants to do gymnastics. She jumps all over this furniture, and she's really, really passionate about it. Again, it goes back to you can't you gotta let people do what they want to do. Exactly. But they have a, a strong father figure to look up to. <laughs> <laughs> Strong father, too. <laughs> Let me ask you this: When you were a, a, a young, you know, young man in your twenties, did you ever think that you would be where you are now? No, no. I um, I wanted to be a PR director at thirty-two, and I was ended up being a vice president at thirty-two. So I mean, I went through the I went through the fast track, but I was very blessed to work with some great people. Who, saw, who took me under the wing and really taught me things. And um, I didn't see this, but um, I was just having fun. I was having, I was really enjoying it. I was able to climb the ladder. And I was just able to, you know, blessed with some great opportunities. And like, you know, my best friend who just passed away used to tell me every time we spoke on the phone, he just said, Tony, you're blessed. And Wilton, I'll just say I'm blessed. I'm really blessed. If you had to choose one to three of your biggest highlights, of your career thus far, what would that be? Oh boy. Um <laughs> I'll say that Cowboys win against the Texans, that Texans Cowboys win. Um I'll give you a couple. The uh the Silver Bowl win with the Cowboys and Buffalo. Um that uh that got me this. Oh man! <laughs> Everybody definitely doesn't have one of those. <laughs> um, the first game in St. Louis, the first ever St. Louis Rams game, the first ever—I'll say that going, winning the Super, going to the Super Bowl with the Titans, you know, was was really cool. Um, so the first, and actually, I would say my. My first game with with the Cowboys because that, that was a that was a chance to you know say hey I'm, I'm getting my foot in the door right and and but but what, what I'm most proud of to be honest is is the young people 
that worked with me as interns. I was able to give opportunities to. And they've gone on and they're running their own departments. So I, you know, I call it the Wiley Tree extension. <laughs> yep. From New York all the way to, to Seattle, to Seattle. So I mean, I, I, I guess I treat them like my kids because when I get older, they're going to they're going to take care of me. Absolutely. So, so I, uh, I fulfilled it. I kept the promise that, that I gave to one of my former mentors. He said, I'm helping you because I want you to reach back and help someone. And that's what I keep telling everybody so that we can, we, we can pull everybody up, pay it forward so that we, we can give people opportunities. Speaking of mentors, who would you say are, are maybe one or two of your biggest mentors that helped you when you were early on in your career to where you are now? One that just passed away. He was my best friend. He was my best friend, Daryl Simon. I mean, I me get emotional right now, but no, Dale Sonner definitely. Um, I have uh, Sam Andrews, who was my professor at Texas Southern, and James Ward, James Ward, the dean of the communication school, who gave me, he gave me a plane ticket to go to San Diego. I couldn't afford to go to San Diego for my in, my uh, interview, mm-hmm. and he gave me a plane ticket. Mm-hmm. So I, go. I mean, Dr. Jones at the placement office took me to the gallery and bought me a suit mm-hmm. so I can wear it to my interview. Right. So when I tell you Texas Southern, I want to be where I am. And then, of course, there's Rob Bowyer, and then there's Rick Smith with the Rams. Rick Smith is another father. He, he, he not only taught me about the industry, but he taught me about life. And he was at my wedding with my parents, I mean, because he's like a dad. He's like a dad to me. Right. And, um, and currently, I have to say, um, John Dow, Dr. Dow is my boss. He's a 78-year-old black man with no filter. And, and he... He's been a great, he's been a great mentor. So I'm, again, I've been blessed to have people that, that, I, that I work with, really good people. Tony, I must say, like, I am truly thankful that I got a chance to talk with you uh, for this episode and, and just to be able to talk to you in general. And, and I must ask this, how much has the bond made your life the way, you know, how did it shape you as a man beyond the professional experiences? But, you know, for um, ladies and gentlemen, the people who might not know, we're we're part of the same fraternity, Cap Officer Fraternity Incorporated. How much has that bond, you know, made you the man that you are today? Bond's real. One of the poem art in my chapter when I crossed, we talk, we talk every day since 1980. Every day. Hmm. So I mean, my line brothers, we're still tight. I mean, we, what it, what it does is um, friends are really hard to find. Right. Friends and associates and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, the bond of people are really, really have your back. The people that that can lift you up when you need to lift. People that's, that's, that, that just can speak to you and don't unfiltered. Just unfiltered. Just be straight candid with you. People that keep you grounded. Exactly. So I think, I think, um, the bond has been the thing where when you when you needed a someone to really pick you up, when you needed someone to you know wrap their arms around you and lift you up, they were there. Also to celebrate your accomplishments. People that are there to just really, really celebrate. So I think the bond has been something that that's that was life-changing. I mean, life-changing to the point where I mean guys around the tree, when I told them this was I want to work in sports, they're like, yeah, go for it. Cause they knew I'm I was coming to on a campus with a, with the sports page. Right. So, I mean, they knew they they were there to support me. They knew. I mean, they knew my journey. Even now, they still reach out and they're so proud. So, I mean, the words are. It's very hard to explain what the bond means because it means so much. Stay tuned for episode two of the Red Diamond Report podcast.
Until then, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at the RDR Report and follow me on Twitter at Wilton Reports and on Instagram at Wilton Reports underscore.